Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the About Health and Hormones podcast. I'm so excited that you're here today and we have a really fun episode for today because we had a really fun guest on. And today's guest is Millie Schwecki, who is a pelvic floor health specialist. She is amazing. She's such a wealth of knowledge. I'll tell you guys about her in a second, but I do want to just give a little disclaimer here. If you're listening with kids around or you have little ears around, you might not want to play this episode because we really get into it with pelvic health. Um, we talk about intimacy in this episode. So just you're warned. Um, we use lots of anatomically correct language, which I think is fine for little kids to hear, but you do you. So just have that warning ahead of time. And we really go in so many different directions in this episode. And one thing that I just love, so Millie recently moved to Israel and she has the best energy. She's so sweet. And you could tell this if you follow her online, but she actually was so sweet and reached out to me when she moved here and was like, I would love to meet. And I actually went over to her house and she cooked me the most beautiful, delicious, hormone-friendly, nourishing meal. I was just like, oh my gosh, who is this girl? I want to be her friend. And like, also I wanted to learn all about pelvic health from her because I think Pelvic floor health is so important. It's so interesting. You'll hear me share a little bit about my journey with pelvic floor therapy as I had very, very painful pregnancies and had a lot of hip issues and had to do a lot of pelvic floor health that really ended up helping me a lot man with managing the pain. And Millie is just an expert on all of these things. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Millie Schwecki, PT, DPT, CPT is a doctor of physical therapy specializing in pelvic health for women. Originally from Brooklyn, New York, she practices in Ranana as well as virtually overseas. As a runner, a strength trainer, and a mother, Millie understands what it takes to return to safe exercise after giving birth and is passionate about helping her patients return to their favorite activities as quickly as possible. In this episode, we talk about who needs pelvic floor therapy, the impact of your hormones on the pelvic floor, we talk about how connected your pelvic floor is to basically everything in your body, but especially things like your jaw and your stress levels. We talk about the effects of pregnancy in the pelvic floor. We talk about pelvic floor health post-C-section, how the pelvic floor plays a role in perimenopause and postmenopausal women. We talk about preventative measures for pelvic floor health. Millie shares with us amazing tips around having healthy bowel, bladder, and sexual habits. She talks about a lot of the myths around pelvic health. I learned so much in this episode, like so many things that I didn't know and I was doing before. I've started doing differently since Millie really informed me about a lot of these different things. And we just talk a lot about all kind of things in between of birth and feeling good in our bodies and all sorts of different um, ways that our pelvic floor is related to the way that we go about our daily lives. So I'm so excited to share this episode with you. I will also just give you in a little bit of advance. We recorded this episode before October 7th. And so Millie is talking about one of her programs in here that is amazing. And you should definitely reach out to her if you're interested. I believe that the doors to the program already closed. So you'll hear her talk about the dates in this episode that will hopefully be uh, updated and reopening in the future. And you should definitely reach out to her, follow her to get all of those updates. And with that being said, let's welcome Millie to the show. Welcome to the About Health and Hormones podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Allen, a recovered sugar addict turned certified nutrition coach on a mission to help women learn how to balance their hormones and optimize their fertility. On this podcast, we have conversations with experts about all things health, hormones, wellness, nutrition, and more to give you the information, tips, and tricks you need to take control of your health and feel amazing in your body. I am so happy that you're here and I can't wait to dive in. Hi, Millie. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited because I I feel like in my personal life, I talk a lot about pelvic floor therapy because I had a really good experience while I was pregnant. Um, and this is the first time we're having a pelvic floor therapist on the show. So this is really exciting. I think it's something all women need to know more about. And I feel like I'm also jumping ahead a little bit. So let's back up. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and what you do? Yeah, so hi. So I am a pelvic floor physical therapist, which means that I work with women 
throughout the lifespan. I see anything from newlyweds to women postmenopausal and anything in between. Working as a pelvic floor physical therapist means that, you know, as physical therapists, we're trained in orthopedics, which means muscles, joints, bones. But the pelvic floor is a specific group of muscles that you're not trained to look at in physical therapy school. So that's something you have to specialize in afterward. And so anyone who is trained as a pelvic floor PT basically has another eye into the body and how everything's connected. And it's often the missing piece to someone's symptoms. That's what I found so interesting when I did it. Like the way that pelvic floor therapists view the body as the way that things are connected, I think it's just so fascinating. And we'll get like more into specifics, hopefully, as we go on. But I think that's something that is very, it's just very cool. And until you've been to it, like it's hard to explain it exactly, although I'm sure, I'm sure you could explain it. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about who might, I know you mentioned women at all stages of life could go to pelvic floor therapist, but who typically is coming to a pelvic floor therapist for support? So I could talk about the clientele that I've attracted. Um, my, I, I would say the main patient demographic that I've been seeing is newlyweds who are figuring things out, um, at, whether it's pain or um, just lack of sensation. I'm seeing that a lot of pregnancy and postpartum. I would say that's probably um, one of the biggest clientele I have. Um, a lot of hip pain, back pain, tailbone pain in pregnancy, um, even painful sex in pregnancy. And then in the postpartum period, we see urinary leakage, we see prolapse, we see constipation, uh, also painful sex. So that's that. And then when I was working at one office, I was actually getting a lot of perimenopausal women um, with urinary leakage due to things like prolapse. Um, and that's where the hormones also are very uh, key. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about how hormones play a role in all of this. Um, and I know that obviously each of those different pieces are so, so different. And I'm assuming they have, you know, different things that are related to like the muscle part, the hormone part. Um, can we talk a little bit about how hormones are affecting the pelvic floor? So at different stages of life, at different points in our cycle, our hormones are always going to be dynamic and fluctuating. You're going to have some of some hormones that are higher and less of other hormones that are going to be lower at different points in your life. And so with these natural rises and falls and fluctuations, not to mention the advent of hormonal birth control, which also plays a huge role in this, the pelvic floor is going to be affected. I would say the most common piece that I'm seeing is a decrease in estrogen, whether that's um, a woman that's breastfeeding, a woman that's on hormonal birth control, or a woman that is menopausal. And that affects the pelvic floor in a few ways. Um, one of them is dryness. One of them is a burning sensation with sexual intercourse um, or with urination. And the other main one I see is urinary incontinence. Now, estrogen is a hormone that keeps our vaginal tissue and our muscles lubricated, moist, and like juicy, basically. And without that hormone, when it's dipping, when it's low, that's when these types of symptoms come up. That's so interesting. There's a lot more to it, but that's like, I would say the main fluctuation I see. It's so interesting because I always... I always talk about in my courses when estrogen is rising, it's usually rising in the follicular stage, right? Like right before we ovulate and it prepares your body to get ready for ovulating. And there's all these like- It makes you nice and pumped. Yeah, it pumps you up. It's the hormone that makes you feel good and confident. There's like all these crazy studies how it actually makes you look more attractive and it clears your acne up. And it's interesting, like it makes sense that if you have a massive dip in it, um, which obviously, again, we see that postpartum, we see that postmenopause. And you're saying, like, do you notice, are people coming to you like, hey, I got on birth control and all of a sudden as a side effect of that, um, I'm having this dryness? Oh, wow. I would say the two main causes of painful sex that I see in my patients are hormonal birth control and, and nursing. Wow. <laughs> That's what it is. 
I, can I ask, because I'm always curious about this, when people are referred to you, are you the first person that might bring that up to them? Or is this, do you think it's like a generally known thing? Oh, just so you know, this is a possible side effect of birth control. Because we had an episode actually, um, someone talking a little bit about the side effects that can happen with hormonal birth control. Um, and I think this is one that maybe is like listed in the long list of, oh, these are possible side effects, you know, mood swings, this, that, the other vaginal dryness, but we haven't really dived deep on it. So the thing about hormonal birth control is that doctors prescribing it because you're asking for an effective birth control and it is very effective at being birth control. One, it makes you not want to have sex ever, right? That's like one of the biggest complaints I get. And two, it shuts down your entire reproductive system so you can't get pregnant. That's what doctors are prescribing, even though there are other therapeutic um, options that work just fine that are non-hormonal and non-invasive. But because it's you're going with doctor practices medicine, that's what they're going to prescribe. Now, since these doctors are prescribing these things, they're sending them to me. So they're not going to be trying to take their patient off of medication, right? They're just sending them to me to kind of be like, okay, let's go mask the symptoms and get rid of the pain. So oftentimes I'll have patients who are on hormonal birth control and their muscles are tight. Now, chicken and the egg, right? What happened first? Were your muscles tight first? Or the hormonal birth control caused that first. So sometimes it's a game I have to play. Um, a lot of the time I see that it's a it kind of turns into a cycle. So now you're on the you're on the birth control and maybe it it dried you up a bit, right? And now uh, you're experiencing some nerve sensitivity and vaginal dryness. So now you go have sex for the first time and it's painful. Now your body remembers that. Okay. So the next time you're gonna go with the same stimulus. Your body is very smart and it wants to protect itself. So your muscles start to clench up to protect themselves. And then what do you know? It's painful again. Now your muscles over time are getting tighter and tighter. There's less blood flow. There's less oxygen going to those muscles. So now again, you try, you try again. Your body is trying to protect itself. Muscles are tight. And then you end up in this vicious cycle of the pain just getting worse and worse in your body learning, oh, this is painful. I have to protect myself. And so your body goes into defense mode. Wow, that's so fascinating. And I'm really curious, how does how does pelvic floor therapy help with that? And also, can you just explain for our listeners what pelvic floor therapy is? Because I'll just say the first time I went, I went for very severe hip and pelvic pain during pregnancy. And everyone was like, just go to pelvic floor therapy. And I don't think anyone actually told me what happens in it. So I was a little bit shocked because um, no one really prepared me. So can you just, before you even explain how it could be helpful, tell us like what what is literally happening in the sessions? Because I didn't know. And I feel like I'm pretty plugged into this stuff. So it definitely varies from case to case on what you're coming for, right? So if you're pregnant, it's going to look very different than if you're coming in postpartum or if you're coming in as a new bride. But um, in short, the first time you see a pelvic floor PT, there's a lot of talking. We talk about pee, poop, sex, everything in between your stress, your sleep, your nutrition, your hydration, your overall lifestyle. You want to know who you are as an entire person. Not only when we do the physical exam, do we look at your pelvic floor, but first we look at your general range of motion. How does your spine move? How do your hips move? How do your shoulders move? How do you breathe? How is your core strength? Once we feel comfortable with each other, whether that's the second session or the third session, it's really different with every patient. If it is indicated, then we will do an internal pelvic floor muscle exam, which means most of the time we go in vaginally. The therapist wears a glove with lube on it. There's no speculum. There's no stirrups. You're lying comfortably on the bed. And the therapist guides you through an internal exam where they just have one finger pressing very lightly on the muscles to find where there's tension, where there's increased tone, where there's perhaps an asymmetry, where there's increased sensitivity. And the whole thing is done with a lot of communication. I'm constantly talking to my patients. Do you feel this? Does it feel the same on this side and that side? If I move over here, does it burn? If I move over here, does it feel better? And the whole thing is a back and forth conversation. There's also times, depending on the case, where we do do rectal work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it'll be the same thing rectally. Okay, got it. And so, 
for people, let's say, who are struggling with dryness because of the pill or because of another reason, how does something like pelvic floor therapy help in that sense? Great question. I love it. One is seeing an educated pelvic floor PT is going to help you identify the root cause of your dryness. So whether it's from the pill, whether it's from stress, whether it's from uh, nursing, will help you identify the root cause. And they'll give you tips on how to overcome that. Now, from a pelvic floor perspective, oftentimes, if someone has a lot of dryness, their pelvic floor muscles will shorten. They'll get some trigger points, like the same way you get a knot in your shoulder when you're stressed, you can get trigger points in your pelvic floor um, when you're going through certain stages of life. And we could do some manual release to those, whether that's internal or external. Um, There's tons of breathing techniques, tons of pelvic floor exercises and techniques that do help restore a full range of motion to the muscles so that's not in its shortened state. An example that I always give is if imagine someone got, they broke their arm, they're in a cast and their arm is stuck in flexion. So imagine your arm is stuck bent when they get the cast off. Their muscle is tight, right? Mm -hmm. But is it strong? It's not strong. It can't do anything. It's stuck in this position. It's, It's dysfunctional. You first have to learn how to lengthen the muscle. So when I have someone with dryness, it often comes with kindness. I have to first teach them how to lengthen their muscles so that they can use it. So you can lengthen your arm and then do the bicep curls. Okay. That actually makes so much sense. That's really, really helpful to know. One of the things you just mentioned was stress. And I feel like we could probably go down a whole rabbit hole on this, but that was one thing that came up a lot when I was going to pelvic floor therapy. Um, cause I had basically self-diagnosed myself with symphysis pubic dysfunction. I read the symptoms online. I was like, this is a hundred percent what I have. The way it was described was exactly what I felt. And when I went to public floor therapy, she said, maybe there is a little bit here, but I really think a lot of it is stress. And I was like, what are you talking about? I meditate every day. I go to acupuncture every week. Like I am not stressed. And then she's like, well, tell me about your work schedule. And I was like, um, I was filming my course at the time I was working like literally 12, 13 hour days. I was running after a toddler and she said, you know, you could keep coming to me, but I really recommend you, you know, releasing some tension, doing these breathing exercises. And I couldn't believe how much it actually helped with my hip pain and my back pain. Um, and I'm sure it manifests in a lot of different ways, whether it's in pregnancy, postpartum, whatever. But can you tell us how does how does stress generally affect the pelvic floor? Like how can it play out? So your your body feels everything you go through, right? So like I'm originally from New York where whenever I'm looking for a parking spot, I could feel my shoulders go up to my ears. Like I'm literally at the, at the steering wheel my shoulders are raised all the way. And I'm saying every part of Tealy I now trying to look for a parking spot. Your body, your muscles, your bones, your joints, they feel every single thing. And so when our body goes into this fight or flight mode, a lot of areas are going to be affected. And I would say that the ones that I treat a lot of that are not so obvious are the jaw, the abs, the glutes, so your tush, and the pelvic floor muscles. Those areas, when they're stressed, when they're in fight or flight mode, they will grip and try to hold on for stability the same way that your shoulders come up to your ears when you're looking for a parking spot. Okay. That makes so much sense. I've seen also, you have these great videos on Instagram of how you can use a, I don't know if I'm saying it right, gua sha, gua sha. Gua sha, yeah on your jaw to help relieve pelvic floor tension. And you kind of touched on this before, how like the whole body is connected. And when you, when things are tense in one place, they're tense in another. Can you explain a little bit more? Like why would relieving pain, not, or I don't know if pain or tension is the right word in the jaw. Cause it sounds crazy. Like why would touching your jaw do anything to your pelvic floor? How does that even make sense? So the jaw and the pelvic floor specifically um, have a very interesting connection. Um, have, do you know anything about like embryology? A little bit, but I, I know about this more as it plays a role in birth. Cause I read a birthing book that was all about like leaving the jaw and the throat very open, and that's going to leave your birth canal open. So I learned about this in terms of like birth. Um, exactly. that was the so, only context I really learned about it in. When we're like in utero, like literally before we're born, in our mom's uterus, we form out of three layers of tissue. And 
long story short, the tissue that forms the pelvic floor and the tissue that forms the throat is right next to each other and it forms from the same area. And so when we develop into a human, there's always that there's always that connection. There's a lot. There's like the ears and the kidneys. There's like a few different funky ones. Oh, interesting. And if you look at the ears and the kidneys, they're the same shape. If you look at the throat, the larynx, and if you look at the pelvic floor in the diagram, they look almost identical. It is insane. We also have fascial connections, which means basically the connective tissue that hold our bones and muscles together. Um, they, it, there's like a line that runs from the jaw straight down to the pelvic floor. Um, and there's a few other, there's like the vagus nerve, there's the way that we breathe, you know, when we inhale, think about like, if you say, Ing! and you're like really high pitched and your throat is coming up, you'll feel your pelvic floor kind of like come up. If you go, Ing! you'll feel it like clench a little bit. Ing! Yeah. Okay. <laughs> And then if you do like, ooh, and you like push down on your throat, ooh, yeah, feel your pelvic floor bulge. You'll feel your pelvic floor relax. I feel like that's what my doula was telling me because I I don't want to go on too much of a tangent here with this, but I was very much like, I can't get an epidural because I'm petrified of needles. I need to have a natural birth. And she was telling me to make the weirdest sounds and just like moo. go, yeah, moo and like, uh, and whatever. I can't, I'm not, I can't make those sounds on this podcast, but it really, I totally felt like it helps. It just opened things up. And so it makes a lot of sense. Is that like something you'll recommend people do in your session? Sometimes it's like do throat stuff. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. My birth prep class, I teach all about like all the different sounds to make. Oh yeah. We have to get into that also because I know you do a lot of education around birth and pregnancy. And a lot of people in my audience are women who are either hoping to get pregnant, um, some who I've worked with who are pregnant and are expecting. So tell us a little bit about what the heck happens to the pelvic floor in pregnancy. So just visualize a baby, right? In your abdomen, sitting on your pelvic floor for nine months. You know how you feel like you have to pee Every two seconds, especially like second and third trimester, you know, when you feel like that little bit of heaviness or you feel like, oh, maybe my bladder's full, but then like, not nah, right. The baby is growing, 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 thank God. And it's pushing down on your pelvic floor muscles and stretching them out. So I don't care how that baby comes out. I don't care how great your birth was. I don't care if you had a C-section. I don't care what it is. Your pelvic floor is affected from pregnancy itself, just from that constant strain of the baby. Then delivery let's talk vaginal first um depending on how fast or how slow your birth was your pelvic floor is going to be more or less intact depending on if you tore if you had an instrument assisted birth meaning if there were a vacuum or forceps involved um the amount of time you were pushing for how you were pushing the position you were pushing in how you were breathing when you were pushing all of these things are going to affect the integrity of your pelvic floor at the end of the day Okay, wait, I have to interrupt you because I've had things about this on Instagram before. When you say position that you give birth in, talk a little bit more about that because I've heard more from people in America. They were told by their doctors they were not allowed to give birth in certain positions, which like I literally couldn't believe. I can't understand telling a woman what position she is allowed to be in to, to give birth. And so can you talk a little bit about like what positions might be actually healthier for the pelvic floor, less healthy? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I'm just going to go back in time for a minute before there were epidurals. Okay. <laughs> it was very intuitive to a woman to know what position she needed to get into. There are many, many, many different positions that the baby is going to take inside of the pelvis to navigate its way from the top to the bottom of the bony pelvis. The baby kind of like to comes down, does a turn, does a flip and comes out in a certain way. And as the baby's making its journey through the pelvis, women's bodies are created with infinite wisdom and we just know oh i need to move my leg like this oh i need to move my leg like that and that's why you'll see women that are having unmedicated births kind of like know where they need to be now we have epidurals when you have an epidural you're not really feeling that journey so much and so you have to educate yourself more on what the options are on positions you can get into but having all of this in mind what you want to do, if it's not intuitive to you, what motion you should be in to get the baby out, is you need to know what positions are available to you that are going to open the different levels of the pelvis as the baby 
is making its way down. And then if you're saying which position you should deliver in, right, because there's different positions you should be in labor in. Mm -hmm. And then there's different positions that you should actually get the baby out in. And the positions that you want to get the baby out in are going to be the ones that promote the bottom of the pelvis opening. And there's many different options. But at the end of the day, they are mostly with your knees in and your legs out. Okay, like like on all fours kind of thing? Like let's say you're let's say you want to do all fours. So you're on all fours, but your knees are facing each other and your feet are like facing out, like calmly like a frog. Okay. Okay, got it. And then are there certain positions that maybe you see are less optimal for pelvic floor recovery after birth? Hell yeah. Can I say that on here? Yeah, you can. <laughs> but giving birth on your back in stirrups. Unless that's something that you like specifically want to do because that's what's comfortable for you. It's not optimal. You're literally making the space at the bottom of your pelvis smaller and you're just more likely to tear. Wow. It's so crazy. Basically, I the reason I was asking about that is I shared back in February after I gave birth to my son. Um, and so I had two natural births. Thank God. Both of my births were really easy compared to my pregnancies, which were really hard. But I said, you know, when I gave birth on all fours and I, my labor was like under two hours, it was crazy. And I had all these people writing to me, I can't believe you gave birth on all fours. Like I wasn't allowed to do that in my hospital. And I was like, I just, I don't understand what you mean. They told me, for, first of all, I think it's just a very different system in Israel because it's a midwife based system as opposed to how it is in America. But I was like, if someone tried to tell me what to do when I was in that moment in time, like I might've hurt that. I might've really like killed someone. I just, I can't even imagine telling a laboring woman who's about to push, like, no, you're not allowed to be in that position. That would be more comfortable for you. Like that's, that's just such a, it's a crazy thing that that's even acceptable or normal. Thing about OBGYNs is that I really don't think it's their fault. I think it's the way that they're trained. They're trained to catch a football in one position. And like, that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Like my doctor when I asked her if I could give birth on my side, literally said no. I asked her like at my 36-week appointment or something. I was like, oh, I'm giving birth on my side. I did it with my son and I'm going to do that this time. And she wasn't the doctor that delivered me with my first. And she said, no, if all of our doctors in the practice did that, we'd all have backaches and be out of a job. And I literally drove home crying. And thank God she wasn't on call when I gave birth and I had someone else and I had to convince her, but thank God my baby came out in one push and like everything was fine. So I didn't even have time to roll onto my back. But um, the doctors these days are not trained in physiological birth because birth is treated like a medical event when it couldn't be farther from a medical event. It's like a natural physiological event that our bodies were innately created to do. And I've had patients who came to me saying like, I'm scared to give birth because I'm scared of hospitals. And I'm like, that's so sad that you're associating it with a medical event because it's really not a medical event. That's just like most births these days happen to take place in a hospital because God forbid if an emergency happens, you're in a hospital, which don't even get me started on like the second you walk into a hospital, how much your risk for complications goes up. I feel like that's the talk for another time. But at the end of the day, a woman does know what position to get into while she's giving birth if she's unmedicated and if she could feel what's going on. And if she is medicated with an epidural, then she should educate herself to know the available positions that are going to be safe for her. Yeah. And I know you'll you'll tell us also how you educate women about that at the end. And I don't want to like throw shade on all the OBGYNs because I think, as you said, it's just it's not their fault. It's not their fault. Right. It's like we're in the system. We talk about that a lot on this podcast, how we've kind of gotten ourselves into this, not ourselves, but we're stuck in this system um, that's not always focused on, you know, treating the root cause, looking at optimal women's health as opposed to just treating what's right in front of us. Um, as opposed to finding like the quickest band-aid solution. And it's just interesting to hear how that can affect things like little, not that the pelvic floor is a little thing, but things that you might not always be focusing on. Like I think most pregnant women who are preparing for birth, they're not really focusing on what's my pelvic floor health going to be like afterwards. You're focusing on the nursery and your baby registry and a million other things. Like you're just, we're just not thinking about these things. And I I remember going after my second birth. I was like, how did I not go after my first birth and in my first pregnancy? And these are really the things that we should be paying attention to. Like it's much more important than the nursery decoration or whatever. So I just want to mention one more thing because I didn't get to say it before. 
that women who give birth via C-section are not exempt. Mm-hmm. Um, pelvic floor is affected from a C-section. The nerves that are caught when they cut into the abdomen are the same nerves that innervate the pelvic floor muscles. And I would say that most of my patients that come to me for painful sex postpartum had C-sections, not vaginal deliveries. And I think that fact shocks so many people. That is shocking. I had no idea about that. And that's really good for people to know. Like maybe even if someone's having a planned C-section, they could also just plan ahead and say, hey, let me make sure I get pelvic floor therapy on my list of to-dos after birth. Um, That's definitely helpful to know. I want to also just shift gears a little bit because I've actually had many, many requests, people writing in um, who are in the perimenopausal stage, postmenopausal stage, who really are just looking to, you know, kind of navigate that phase of life that can be so crazy. Um, And I think a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are in their 20s and 30s and maybe are not thinking that far down the road. But I think it's something that doesn't get talked about enough. Can you tell us some of the symptoms that are bringing women in that phase of life in? Yeah, I would say for most I've seen is pelvic organ prolapse. So again, we have that decrease in estrogen. We have more ligament laxity. And so the ligaments that are supposed to be holding up our bladder, our uterus, and our rectum are now a little bit more floppy and they need more support. So that's where our pelvic floor PT comes in. I help them manage their symptoms. I have many patients with pelvic floor or with pelvic organ prolapse that live fully functional lives. They know what to do when their symptoms get worse. Well, what are the symptoms? Like how would someone, why would someone be suffering at all if they have pelvic organ prolapse? Prolapse is when one of the, one of the pelvic organs is descending at, like towards the vaginal canal or the rectum. So the symptoms often include a feeling of heaviness in the vagina or something bulging out of the rectum. It could feel like urinary leakage. It could feel like incomplete emptying of the bowels or leakage of the bowels. And it's really not the end of the world for most patients if it's not such a severe prolapse. I've had patients cancel surgeries. Wow. After pelvic floor therapy. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that someone could be doing preventatively? Like I think also a lot of people are told, let's say in pregnancy, oh, do these Kegel exercises that's good for your pelvic floor. Is it there? Are there things we could be doing throughout our life to support the pelvic floor? 100%. Good, good bowel and bladder habits, good sexual habits. Um, Kegels are not something that I prescribe to patients so often. Um, it's a very specific time and place for some reason. Um, pelvic, I think it's like just bed press. Pelvic floor PT is associated with Kegels. Most good pelvic PTs that I know don't have them as part of their plan of care. I would say having good bowel, bladder, and sexual habits are going to be what keeps you good down the road. In addition to staying active, stretching, moving your body, getting good blood flow, all those things. Okay, wait, can you... All the things that are obvious. Can we get specific though? When you say good habits related to that, like what are the, what do you mean? What are those specific habits? Okay, I'll give you like my top, my top tips. Ready? Right, take note. Whoever's listening, like take out the notes app on your phone and like kind of write these down. And if you follow me on Instagram, you've for sure heard these. All right, I would say number one, don't pee just in case. What is it? Wait, you know what do you mean? Gonna, you know, when like you're about to go to do your errands and you're like, oh, let me just pee. Yeah, of course. Do not do that. Okay, wait. <laughs> what if I have a toddler who like I need her to go, but she'll only go if mommy goes? Like I have to. Pretend. Pretend to go. You think I could pretend with this girl? Okay, whatever. Pretend to go. I can't. She'll. Okay. She, she's like in there. She's watching the whole situation. Sit on the toilet. Don't pee. You don't have to pee. Nothing is going to come out. Wait, why? Why? What happens when you do that is you're telling your brain to empty when the bladder is not actually full. So let's say the bladder has to fill to like, I'm just going to make up a number. Let's say the bladder has to fill up to like 80%, right? Okay. Now, let's say you're at 50% and you're leaving the house and you're like, oh, let me just go pee real quick. 
Now you're telling your bladder, oh, when we're at 50%, we, we empty. So now next time your bladder fills to 50, it might feel like, oh, we need to go empty. So should you do like exercises to hold it, to get, to hold it longer? No, when you, when you feel the urge to go, that's when you should go. Okay. You should follow your urges. You shouldn't just make up like, oh, I'm going to go pee now because I'm going to the grocery store. Like respect your body's cues. It's so funny because I feel like I say that a lot with food, respect your body's cues. But with this, I'm like, why not just go? You never regret going to the bathroom before you get in a long car ride. So, okay. There are some exceptions to the rule, which is a car ride that's over two hours. The plane, the airplane. Yeah, with any travel that's more than two hours, basically, um, after sex. Well, those are like those are like my two exceptions. Well, that's a good one because I I didn't know that that was problematic at all. So don't go just because. Okay, what else? Mm-hmm. Sit on the public toilet seat. Don't hover. Oh yes, I've seen you talk about this, and it gives me anxiety. <laughs> um, when you're hovering over a toilet seat, you're not actually allowing your pelvic floor muscles to relax enough that your bladder could contract to get all of the urine out. So you actually don't end up fully emptying your bladder. And that's really not good long-term. It can cause like, I don't want to get like scary, but like infections, you know. Okay. You want to get like a UTI or something like that. You're not getting sick from sitting on the toilet seat. Your skin is made to repel germs. The largest organ in the body your skin is made to like touch all these things. You're touching an ATM button. You think that's any better than a public toilet seat? Okay, these nah. these tips are going to be hard for me to apply because <laughs> like I'm not scared I'm going to get sick. I think it's just a mental thing of like that's, it's disgusting. Make a nest of toilet paper on the seat. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, fine. But those are good tips because I think also these are not things that people would necessarily think to do. They're not intuitive. They're not common sense. No, they're not common sense. I feel like it's the opposite of what we're taught. They go against everything. Yeah. It's exactly like I teach my daughter this. Anytime we leave the house, like just check, just go sit on the potty. And we do not touch the public toilets because they're gross. Um, But I guess we're going to have to, we're going to have to rework those lessons. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I wanted to go back a little bit because I know we touched on this in the beginning, how hormones are affecting this stuff um, related to pelvic floor therapy. And I know you said one class of people that you tend to treat a lot are new brides or people who are struggling with different kinds of like, I don't know if the right word is sexual dysfunction, but pain associated with that. Um, can you tell us like a little bit more about what might be going on with that? Let's say it's not related to hormonal birth control or low estrogen. Are there like other contributing factors that are going on there? And I think this is important to talk about because there's not so much information out there about this that people are like really comfortable going to or talking about openly. It's definitely not my area of expertise, but I have dealt with clients who are like, I have this as a symptom of whatever else I have going on, endometriosis, or um, sometimes just like, it's not a symptom of PCOS, but in conjunction with that. So if you talk a little bit more about like specifically pain uh, associated with that and, and how that can play out. Yeah, for sure. So there's many root causes to painful sex. At the end of the day, there's usually some sort of inflammation going on in the body, some sort of tight muscle happening. It could be due to your posture. It could be due to your habits. It could be due to the way you were raised to think about sex. It could be due to your comfort level. There's really so many root problems. It could be, you know, there's nerve issues that can happen. There's really like so many, so many root causes. If you have endo, if you have PCOS, right? All these things could be factors. And it's usually not just one thing. It's usually a combination of things. Um, And so when these patients come to therapy, I would say the number one value that I give them in the first session is education. I show them a pelvic model. We go through all the functions of the pelvic floor and how it affects them. We talk about pleasure and anatomy. And then we use a mirror and the patient gets familiar with what their body looks like. Because for some reason, most women don't know what they look like down there. And then, God forbid, something comes, you have a lump, you have a bump, and you have to tell your doctor, oh, I have a lump on my turkey. What? They have a lump on your turkey thing? Like, you need to know the names. You need to know what normal looks like. Because when, God forbid, something looks not normal, you need to know your baseline. And so I find this is a great opportunity to educate the brides on what things should look and feel like 
texture, color, sensation, symmetry, asymmetry. Um, and the education piece, it's incredible how far it takes someone because just understanding what your body is in an area that you're like not used to looking at and touching is makes you so much more comfortable and open. It's kind of like the same way I have women after uh, a C-section and they're like scared to touch their scar because they're like associating it with like an emergency, let's say, and they just like don't want to touch it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't want to go near it. It's like the same thing with having sex for the first time when you're kind of taught like, oh, you're not allowed to do it until marriage. So that in your head is like a bad thing. Um, and then just learning how to contract the muscles, how to relax the muscles, how to coordinate them with your breath takes these brides so far. Wow. That's so interesting. So a lot of it, it sounds like is that education piece can almost open up the doorway into healing and how I, I'm sure everyone is so different, but are there any stories that stand out to you of someone who came to you, like was really struggling with this kind of these symptoms or dysfunction and had like just a really big transformation through your work? Yeah, I'm gonna just for the sake of um, keeping it anonymous, I'm gonna just change details of like a few, a few cases and combine them um because i don't know if any of my patients are listening but um i had i had a patient who was two years postpartum and she, it was her fourth kid already and she never had painful sex but after the fourth kid she was like i don't know what happened like the birth was fine but ever since then sex has just been hurting for like a while and I, when, once I did my whole assessment and like I took a step back, she wasn't getting enough sleep. She was eating like garbage and her posture was like not functional. Um, she had a sway back posture. She was crunching her glutes and I was able to basically train her brain to take up more optimal positions during the day when she was holding her toddler, when she was standing, when she was sitting, when she was walking, and realign her in a way that was taking tension off of her pelvic floor muscles, combined with having her do a sleep log, making sure she got more hours every night, and also having her eat more anti-inflammatory foods um, which is something that pelvic floor PTs actually do weirdly enough. I do like very basic nutrition counseling um, for bowel and bladder health and sexual health. I love that you're so holistic with it. I think it's so it's so important. You have to be. You have to be because you're not just a tight muscle, right? You're an entire person that we have to look at. So for this one patient that I'm thinking about, it was like, yeah, it was like a combination of posture and getting enough sleep and just eating more nutritional foods, not just the things you could quickly grab off the shelf. Yeah. And so what happens with her? So yeah, no, it took like, it didn't take that many sessions. I think she was with me for two months. I think she came once a week. So let's say she did like eight sessions. Done. Wow. And the crazy part is how these patients often go from like, first is painful sex. And there's sex that's not painful, but it's like uncomfortable. And then there's like good sex. It's so crazy because I feel like there are people out there who kind of just accept their situation and they don't get help for it. And I know whatever, just having spoken to friends, um, a lot of people I've worked with that are just all in these different stages of life. There are people who really are just like, oh, whatever this happened. I don't really know what to do about it. And it's crazy. You're saying, you know, I could take two months. Not that everyone is going to have the same amount of time that it takes to heal, but in some cases, it really doesn't take that long to get these things situated and it completely changes someone's life. It's it's really like, I don't even realize to say that because to me, it's like so common sense that like if your sex life is not good, like go do something about it. No, I've had friends that I'm like, you. I, I tell them like, I'll text them every day. You need to go to pelvic floor therapy. You need to go to pelvic floor therapy and they don't go. And it's honestly fun. Like, I love when my patients tell me that. Like, they, I have patients that walk out of their sessions. Like, that was so fun. That's I'm hilarious. Like, I, <laughs> I wouldn't have said my work. talk fun. about different positions were like, and different angles and different things you could do to. I felt work like mine was uh, 
I'll tell you what I thought when I had pelvic floor. I wouldn't have said it was fun, but I felt like I learned about myself in a way that I hadn't in any other capacity. And I would say also like in terms of my body, listen, I had done all these natural birth prep stuff and I do a lot of yoga, but it's like a different, it's just a completely different experience. That's what I'm trying to tell you. The education piece takes you so far. If you're having pain in your pelvis when you're pregnant, once you understand what your ligaments are doing during pregnancy and why you're having that pain, it makes more sense and it helps you heal quicker. Yeah, that makes so much sense. There's another thing I have to I have to ask you about because I saw you also recently posted about this on Instagram and I postpartum realized I was doing this. Um, you talk about like sucking in the stomach or holding your abs in a certain way that's really not, I don't know if it's specifically not healthy for the pelvic floor, for our posture, for everything. Tell us a little bit about that. All of the above. So many times, like I got a patient on the table and I lift up their shirt and I'm looking at their rib cage mobility and I'm looking at their abs and I'm asking them to take a deep breath and I'm like, wait, 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 you're sucking in. You're literally sucking in your stomach. You use that. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like, yeah, you are. And then they realize I put my hands on them and they realize, oh my God, I'm holding all this tension here. And now all of a sudden it becomes something they notice in their everyday life and I have them work on like, unclench 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 we're so self-conscious especially when we're postpartum i think it starts at puberty now like start at pu- it starts at puberty you kind of realize you have an extra layer of fat protecting your organs that create other humans and you kind of want to like suck in make it like not show like let me apply the evidence that i have organs and then you kind of like walk around like that and then you know it just becomes like second nature it becomes just part of your posture and now think about you have your diaphragm on the top and your pelvic floor on the bottom your abs are on the front everything needs to move together as a system and imagine a hose that has a kink in it water is not coming out the other side so when you're squeezing your core all day you're basically putting pressure down on your pelvic floor so a lot of women that do this all end up getting like a lower belly bulge because all the pressure is going down your core is anticipatory, which means it's supposed to turn on automatically. You don't need to walk around engaging it. It's supposed to happen by itself. You should spend 15 minutes at a time doing core work on the floor or or at the gym, right? But when those 15 minutes are over, you're done. Let your body do what it has to do. I was so shocked when I went to pelvic floor therapy after postpartum I had like a little bit of residue, hip pain, a little bit of back pain. I was also nursing. So I knew like, obviously, you know, sometimes I I tried to do it a lot less this time, but like there's the hunch that happens while nursing. And she told me, you know, you're, you're like sucking in. I was like, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't do that. And she also was the same thing, like put her hands on my ribs and had me look in the mirror. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I promise I did not do this consciously, but I started realizing I'm doing this subconsciously. I had also... I don't know if I did it after my first pregnancy, but I gained a lot more weight in my second pregnancy. I think I was subconsciously a lot more self-conscious. And I was like, I can't, I just can't believe I'm doing this. And she was showing me how like my ribs and things were just not in the right place when I was doing it. It was so eye-opening. So like, and I remember, it's funny, you said puberty. I don't remember so much at that time, but I know for sure in high school, it was like, oh, we're taking a picture. Everybody suck in. Like that was a thing. I can't believe that we said things like that. It's terrible. Either way, I see pelvic floor PT. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. I really feel like PTs and pelvic floor PTs in general, you see the world in a different way because you see just like the connection between all these different things. It's so cool. Listen, I have a hard time going to like Shabbat dinner because if someone asks me what I do, I'm like, we're talking about vaginas. I answer your question. So, <laughs> no, I think it's great because listen, people, I don't know. I don't know how much you'll talk about it at Shabbat dinner, but I think it's really important information for women to know. I feel like there's so many pieces of all these things that I was like, no one warned me about this. No one warned me what happens after a baby. The whole like, um, oh my gosh, what's the word? Like, whatever, just the peeing while you're pregnant, Con- incontinence. That's the word I was looking for. Like no one warns me about that stuff. I just think it's good. It's good to have information. Um, and I know you're also like a really incredible educator and you have especially um, programs for women who are in pregnancy, right? Yes. Okay. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your courses and how you how you support people, um, especially virtually, because a lot of people who are listening to this are all over the world. 
for sure. So I teach a class called Prepared Toddlers, which is for expecting moms that want to stay active, have an empowering birth, and basically have a good postpartum recovery. We cover a lot of topics. Um, a lot of them are, you know, the way your body changes, how exercise should change in pregnancy. Like we spoke about today, right? Bowel and bladder function, all the different types of aches and pains you could have in pregnancy. Then we move on to the actual, you know, labor and delivery, prepping your body for birth, how to breathe, how to push, positioning, all those things you were asking me about. And then we also touch on how to heal in the postpartum period. So how to return to sex, how to return to exercise, anything about diacetyl and recti. People usually have questions about that. Scar management, pressure, um, sorry, posture, um, things like that. That's basically like the curriculum that I teach. Um, the next one's launching October 23rd and 30th. It's uh, two 90-minute sessions on Zoom. Um, I recommend it to anyone that's due between December and March for this round. Uh, coming soon, I am going to have it pre-recorded, a more expanded version with a lot more exercises. Oh, yay. That's so exciting. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, cause that's something I'm working on right now. And for anyone listening here, I would be happy to offer $20 off the live course. Um, if you mentioned that you heard about me through Lauren. Okay. Amazing. Thank you. That's so generous. Um, okay. So tell everyone where they can find you, where they could follow you on social media and learn that they shouldn't hover when they go to the public toilets. All right. So my Instagram handle is Millie DPT and that's really the only social media I use. Okay, perfect. We're going to link it in the show notes I'm also. Put that onto my email. I'm also going to give you the link um, to join my email list. Okay, perfect. We can put all that in the show notes. Millie, this was amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming. This was so fun. Thank you so much for listening to the About Health and Hormones podcast. If you loved today's episode, I would love to know please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so I can make this podcast even better for you all. I would love to connect with you. Follow me on Instagram at Lauren Allen Nutrition or head to my website, www.laurenallennutrition.com to learn about my coaching programs and stay up to date on all of my latest workshops and courses. I am so glad you are here today and I wish you all health and happiness.